Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to be in Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 20. We're starting a new series. It's going to be for about four or five weeks here, and we're going to be talking about the first things, all right? Um, when we think about our lives, our lives need to be in order, all right? And so as we look at that, um, the first thing that the, that the commandments start off talking to us about is not about our relationship with each other, but our relationship with, the, with God, all right? Does anybody remember there's a rich young ruler that comes and speaks to Jesus, all right? And as this rich young ruler comes and speaks to Jesus, he tells him all the things that he had done before. And what he does is he lists out a bunch of aspects about his life that he presents to Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to keep the commandments. And he says, I've done these. And he lists them, all right? But what he doesn't list, if you ever go and you read that, is the first four commandments. And so he doesn't, and he doesn't also list uh, coveting. And so he talks about five of the commandments, but he doesn't talk about the other five. And so in a lot of cases, when we look at our lives, we start to evaluate who we are, and we do that in aspect or relationship to other people. And so he skipped the whole aspect about a relationship with God, and when he went to talk with Jesus about who he really was that defined his life, he skipped all that and talked only about his relationship with other people, and basically, because of finances or other things, compared his life to everybody else's. Do you do that? I do that sometimes, all right? <laughs> you know, somebody does something and or acts a certain way and go, well, I've never done that. Well, thank the Lord I've never done that. You know, I've, I'm not guilty of that one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know you've done that. You've said those phrases before, right? We all do that. We like to compare ourselves to each other. Well, what that does is that starts to put ourselves in relationship or aspect to each other, and that's how we evaluate our lives. Okay, And so as we begin to evaluate our lives that way, we rise and fall upon what other people are doing. And we look at ourselves that way. And that's culturally what we do as well outside the church. But the reality for us is that we need to be looking at our, side, our lives in light of what God says to us. And that starts with our relationship with Him. Okay, So that's where I want to start this morning. And so we're going to talk about uh, the first commandment. And so if you'll look in Exodus chapter 20, we'll be looking at verses 2 and 3. The Lord says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So this is really about the first place in our life. What has first place in our order? If we look at our lives and we want to put our lives in order, God says that he must be first place in everything and in all aspects. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the different aspects or the different ways in which we allow other things to get into our priorities or our place, okay? And so this Jesus as he's speaking and, and talking in Matthew, excuse me, in Mark chapter uh, 12 verses 29 and 30 when he's giving us um, the great commandment he says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So the first thing that we're going to look at is this is the heart aspect of that. So the heart is the emotional seat of who we are. And so when we look at relationships, we base our relationships first and foremost off of our emotions. 
We're emotionally attracted to other people or we're emotionally not attracted to other people. Now, physicality comes into it, and, but that does not sustain a relationship. People change, don't they, physically? I am not what my wife married 28 years ago. And she'll be the first to tell you that, all right? Is that I don't look anything like what all right? I had hair. I actually had a part. You know what I'm saying? I had enough hair that I could part, okay? All right? It wasn't growing out my ears or anything like that, you know, like it does now. I swear it falls out of my head, hits my ears. They say that it's dead, but it doesn't. It takes growth right on the top of my ears, and, you know? And so I want you to understand, there are things that I have to deal with in my 50s that I didn't have to deal with in my 20s. I didn't look nothing like this. Physically, we change. Is that not truth? All right, And so when we base our relationships, we can't base our relationships per, per, purely off of physicality. Because when that, when that change begins to take place, if that's what keeps the attraction to us, then we lose that. God is spirit. Do you get that? There's no physicality to him. He is spirit. And so when we look at that relationship that we have with him, we have to immediately move beyond the physical, and we have to get first and foremost to what? The emotional connection that we can have with God. If we can't physically see God, there has to be something that connects us to him. And first and foremost, in the order of our lives, that has to be our emotional relationship. So the first thing that that the Lord says to us, that Christ says to us, is that we shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. So here's the three aspects of this that I want you to see this morning. There's nothing above God. So when you shall have no other gods before me, there is nothing that is positionally above God in his standing. In the standing of our life, do you have things or people that are above the Lord? I would venture to guess that in most churches, every single one of us is going, uh-uh, nope, I sure don't. Well, let's really break that down emotionally for us. If your children are on drugs or in need or other kind of things, do you not place their care and their well-being before the Lord? Financially, does God get your first fruits or does he get your leftovers? Time and how you spend your time. Do you wake up every day and give God the first moments of your day? Or does he get the very end? Or does he days and weeks not get any? You see, we say these things verbally with our mouth that God has first place or that positionally he is the first thing in our life and there's nothing else above him. But on a daily basis, we display just the opposite. We allow other things to creep into positions that are higher. All right? The Bible says, don't worry or be anxious about anything. (laughs) If we were to go this morning, and I were just to give you a card, and just let you write them down, and I couldn't even recognize your handwriting, right? So I wouldn't even know it was you. No one would know it was you. I bet you every single one of us, if I ask you to write down something that you were anxious about right now, you'd have a list, wouldn't you? There's all kinds of things that we're anxious about. How many of you sleep well at night? Don't raise your hands, all right? How many of you have a hard time going to sleep? How many? Some of you in this room have a tough time shutting your brains off, all right? Because it just runs and runs and runs. You're constantly thinking about things. What is that? 
What that is, is there's something, I know sometimes chemically in us, but also emotionally there's just something that's going on inside of us, and there's a competition that's taking place. There's a competition that's taking place first and foremost for our hearts. Later on, it will move to our minds. But first and foremost, where we get attacked is emotionally in our hearts. We have attacks of anxiety. We have times where we worry and put ourselves in the hospital because we're all caught up into that. And they go, physically, what's taking place in your life is something that's being brought about by your emotional state. So don't think that this can't affect us. It affects us greatly. And when we get our priorities out of order or our place out of order, it's detrimental to our well-being. Physically and spiritually. And so if this relationship is not in correct standing or in order, how do we think that we're going to keep the relationships that we have with each other in order. We were talking about this in Sunday school today. We live in a generation and in a time in our culture where it's okay to just walk in and walk out of church. To walk in and out. And it really, it, look, it takes place at every size church, but it's very easy in a larger church setting to get lost. You come here, everybody knows you, Right? If you come here and you actually stay through an entire worship service, somebody's going to try to shake your hand, right? That's what that welcome time's all about. And if the whole point is that some of you try to shake everybody's hand, so you have to, so somebody is trying to get around the entire room, right? Why is that? Because we need this. But we live in a day and age where people just want to come in and come out and not be bothered. We don't want any responsibility. We don't want anybody to sometimes even know we're there. We can't get people to fill out guest cards. You can't get people to respond back to you. All kinds of stuff like that goes on. Look, guys, that's not relational. And if we're not relational with each other, then it surely isn't fostering a relationship with God the Father. If we're not fostering a relationship with God the Father, it says that love comes from God. We can't love other people. So we've missed this whole point right here. Love the Lord your God. If we're not loving in a relationship with Him, then our heart's messed up. And if our heart's messed up emotionally, we can't have a well-being enough to be able to interact with everybody else. Thus, this becomes all about us. And instead of us serving God, we come to church going, well, what can this church do for me? Will you provide this for me? Will you provide that for me? Do you have this ministry? Do you have that ministry? We don't have those because in some cases, we're looking for you. We're looking for you to step up. We're looking for you to respond. And honestly, in most cases today in the church, people can't respond because they're not in the right emotional state with God. So we have to get the first things right. we got to get first place. we got to put the order in the right order. We can have nothing above God. It's about position. It's about standing. We are all slaves. Does everybody get this? 
there is no human being on this earth that has ever lived except for Christ that is without sin. And there are things that we have done and still do in cultures throughout the world today where we oppress other people. We have done it in our country. We've done it in other countries. And we continue to have it done in the world today. People are slaves. And people in this room are slaves. You're not a physical slave to somebody else, but you're in debt up to your eyeballs. You're a slave. It's like that, what is that sticker, the bumper of the sticker that's on the back of the cards that says, I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. You know what I'm saying? We're trapped. And we feel that. Scripture talks about that. Debtor and the lender and all those different things. I'm not here to get on you about that today. I'm just here to mention it. Because we're slaves to other things too. Anything that we allow to get above God, we're a slave to. That's a sin. So the Bible says that in two ways you're a slave to either two things. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to the Lord. But remember in the New Testament, all the disciples and apostles, they call themselves bondservants. The, the Greek word is doulos, which means what? A slave who's been set free who chooses to serve their master. So though we're a slave to the Lord, we are free. But we choose to put ourselves back into slavery. That's what Galatians is all about, remember? Remember he says, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for sin. Don't take what I've given you and let you go with and turn that back into sin. See, are you following me here? Everything that we're talking about today, all of Scripture flows out of this. But our life is so out of order and our lives of what we live are so out of order that we just think that we can fix the other stuff. Took Tamara's car in this week, all right, to get some work done on it. Well, it was leaking coolant, so I took it in for coolant. It was leaking oil. So next thing I know, cha-ching. You know what I'm saying? They just start calling me, and they're ringing that thing up. There was a bunch of stuff wrong with it. The only thing that I saw was what? The coolant that was dripping onto my garage floor. That's all I could see. But when he opened it up, and I opened it up, I was like, that looks pretty good. Everybody looks at us and goes, that looks pretty good. But inside, we're a what? A hot mess. And there's some things that somebody starts to see on the outside, but when they get in there and we truly examine it, there's a bunch of stuff that's going on. Because we're out of order. Now, if a bathroom is out of order, they put a sign on the door and tell you not to use it, right? And if you go in there and use it and try to make it work right, what happens? It's a mess. So if we're out of order and nobody's put a sign on us and the preacher comes and says, hey, would you mind serving here or being involved in this? And you go, well, I look good. And I think I look good. Everybody thinks I'm all right. And you go try to serve, and it becomes what? A mess. So, guys, we have to start right here. This is the launching pad for every single one of us, including myself. If we're out of order, 
then nothing in position and standing is going to work right. 1 John 3, 20 through 22 says this, For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. All right. Sometimes we're trying to get away with it. Some of us are sitting here this morning, and this is what I think takes place in a lot in the movement to come in and out of church, is we know we are out of order. That passage says, our heart condemns us. People don't want to serve today because they don't want to fix and start with their relationship with God themselves. That is called conviction. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. Not anybody else sitting around you. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. Not your mama and your daddy. Not your children. Not anybody else, your boss that points a finger at you. That's not their job to convict you of your sin. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin, it's your job to get it fixed. When Tamar's car was in the shop and they told me all the things, I said, fix it all. When it leaves here, it needs to what? Work properly. When you come to worship on Sunday mornings, you need to leave here fixed or on the job to try to fix what's going on and work what? Properly. Paul says as much to us in 1 Corinthians. He says communion is all about coming and examining our lives and then what? Fixing that. Now look, you may look at your sin and say, I'm unusable. But you're not unusable. It says God is greater than your heart. God's greater than your heart. So the mess that's here, emotionally, and the relationship that was with him or with others that's fractured, guess what? He's bigger than that. He's bigger than all of that. So we can't look at our lives and then dismiss it. We can't walk in and out of church and say, I know I need to go here. Something's not right. I just don't feel right. Something's going on inside of me. And walk into church and say, well, Brother Tim missed it today because I still feel as bad as I did when I walked in. Not on me. Not on me. My job is not to fix you. Cannot fix you spiritually. Ever. My job is to present the truth to you, get you to trust in that, and then allow the Spirit of God to make you whole. That's the fix. That's the repair. Nothing above God. Nothing alongside of God. That's the second thing. It's very easy to identify the things that are above God. It's never easy for us to identify the things that are alongside God. When we allow things to come into our lives that are alongside of God, and we accept them as truth, then we put them on the equality or the same plane with God. 
There's nothing that is equal with God in who we are. Our loyalty and devotion needs to be to Him and to Him alone. But stuff comes alongside God all the time. Oh, in our, in our day and age, if you have young children, sports come alongside God. I hate to say it, but now the church is, all we do is we try to figure out ways to meet you right there on the field instead of having you make a devotion or a commitment to the church or to God, not really to the church in, in a sense. And I get that. Paul went down to the river, and that's where he met Lydia. He went to where she was. But Lydia didn't stay there. We don't talk about that a whole lot. Paul went down there to meet them at their point of need, but they didn't stay there. And I can guarantee you, it's softball season, right? Isn't that what's going on? It's getting a little late. But I could have ridden by any one of the fields that were on the way here in October and in September, and there would have been traveling ball teams all over there. And it happened all the time in Oconee County. Soccer. Whatever it was, whatever was in season, we allow it to come alongside. And look, we live in a culture today that has no respect, honor for this. So Sunday's just another day. And so really what it is, is it's championship day. We start the tourney on Saturday, but we end it on Sunday, and that's when it really gets good. And it's all across all lines. It's not just sports. That's easy. That was an easy pick. All right? But there's all kinds of stuff that we let alongside God. We let our work alongside God. We'll work 60, 80 hours a week prove our worth and we're so tired and we're so depleted from that we won't give a plug nickel to Jesus in time or effort and yet there are people who believe in workspace faith who are out every Saturday going door to door thinking it's going to get them to heaven They're willing to do that. Why? Because their faith says what they believe says that they got to work their way there. Our faith says grace and mercy, and we go, that means I ain't got to do nothing. No, that means that you give everything. So we are constantly letting all kinds of stuff alongside of us, taking part of our devotion. You know, we went through this as a church. They say that a church today is supposed to have a purpose statement. And basically what that does is that it tries to take... All churches can't do all things really great, all right? We can do a lot of things well, and some things we, we don't do well. We need to pick a lane. That's kind of what I said, you know? We can't be swapping lanes all the time. We have to pick a lane, and this is the identity of who we are. Okay, let me just give you one here in for instance. I don't think this the identity of Mount Salem Baptist Church to have a school or to have a day, uh, you know, a mother's morning out or anything like that. 
we, we just don't have the, the inner workings for all that, do we? So you would say, if someone came along and said to us, we want to start a Christian school here at Mount Salem, we'd probably go, mm, that's probably better served to do that somewhere else. Are you following me there? We found our lane. We're finding our purpose. Our devotion is not all broken up into 50 million different places because we're trying to please everybody. Do you get that? That's very important for us as people of God because a lot of you come to me all the time with great ideas. And there's two aspects that are missing in that. Leadership, if God gave you the idea, guess what he's also doing? Yeah, that's right. The other part about that is that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we're probably not at the place or it doesn't fit for us to be able to pull some of that off. We have to stay in our lane on that. I want you to think about your life right now. When I say stuff comes alongside of you, some of you are trying to do too much because you're trying to be the perfect parent, the perfect co-worker, the perfect worker, the perfect spouse, the pure perfect, you know, whatever it is. And what you've done is you've said, I've got church, but I also have, you know, I'm going to go back to the old one. Go, well, I've got ball with my kids. I've got PTA. I'm the this at the school. I'm the that at the, you know, out at the parks and rec department. I'm this you know, at my job, I have this I have this part and this aspect of my job. I'm not telling you that you're doing too much. I'm saying you need to evaluate your life and see if you've allowed those things to come alongside your relationship with God. And if they have, they are taking part of your devotion. I'm a Georgia fan. Go dogs. But I'm not willing to give all my money for a seat in that stadium. Just not willing to do it. I've been in those boxes. People have given us tickets before, and thank you. The food was great, and the seats are awesome. But I'd rather give my money to the Lord than to give it to there. Because I want to tell you something. I'm a Georgia fan. I'm a fan. That means I'm wishy-washy. When we lost at LSU, the world was falling apart. We were terrible. We needed another quarterback and probably a new offensive coordinator. In the last two weeks, they're all good. And I have pardoned them. I'm a fan. Are you a Jesus fan? That's what I'm trying to say here. If we're a fan of Jesus then all kinds of stuff comes alongside of that. And Tim's sermon was good this week, but last week it was really awful. I think he needs to go. <laughs> or until he gets it right, I'm not going back there. Until they get somebody that can play the piano better, I'm not going. Elizabeth does a great job. She ain't going anywhere. Are you, you see what I'm saying here? We pick out something, and we say, until they fix that there, I ain't going. That makes us a fan. If you don't like what's going on here, and the direction that we're going, and the purpose that we feel like we've been called to, and all the things that we've assembled together, this is as good as we get. And this is who God has brought here right now. And we're doing the best we can. If it's not enough for you, 
I don't want anybody to leave. But if you want to go somewhere else and think they got that, I guarantee you they don't because ain't nobody around here preaches good me, so. <laughs> Y'all know that, <laughs> don't you? Y'all are writing down names right now. We're going, mm-mm, this one's better. Mm-mm, I've heard this one. <laughs> so look, it's about devotion. It's about stuff coming alongside, and we cannot be a fan. We cannot be a fan at all. Otherwise, we're fair-weathered. Luke 16, 15 says this, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. It doesn't say in here that, for the, that the requirement for a pastor is to be a great communicator. But that's what a pastor is today for us. It says that a pastor is a servant. It says that a pastor is one who will sacrifice for others. It says that a pastor is supposed to lead and give guidance. Shepherd. Now I want you to think of all the popular pastors in today. And I want you to think that if you got sick in their church, if they'd be coming to see you. Or if they send out cards and letters. Or if they do the things that are pastoral according to Scripture. You see, we want a great communicator. Because we want to come here and we want to listen and be inspired and all that other stuff. And laugh. and Great. But it says right here that God knows our hearts. And what is highly esteemed among men is detestable in his sight. Our job is to please him. Exodus 22, 20 says this, He who sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed. This is how we get broken. We may look at our lives and we say, there's nothing, nothing above God in our lives. But I want you to look around because there's all kinds of stuff that we've allowed in our lives to come alongside God. The last thing is nothing in addition to God. Allegiance, exclusivity. This really gets us in trouble. Why does it get us in trouble? People call us uh, what homophobes because of this. People call us um, bigots, or you know, we we can't accept other people. And I mean, there's all kinds of names that get that we get called for all of this. I don't make the rules. My job is to follow them. Our job is to, and I know that everybody thinks this is a cop-out. It's not a cop-out. It's true. It, it really is. Our job is to love that sinner. But our job is to hate that sin. 
And that goes for us as well. And look, this is why we can't look around. Because I've seen this happen all the time. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. So I had a family in, in a former church. They were the product of two broken marriages and divorce and actually had a relationship before they got married. Now they have, one of them has a brother who's living an alternate lifestyle. So they would go and share with the brother that how God sees that lifestyle and the brother would turn and say this is how God views your marriage. Both are right. Their marriage doesn't justify his sin. Do you get that? His lifestyle doesn't justify the choices that they made. So in God's eyes, they both broken, got to be fixed. But see, this is what we're doing. If I tell you that you've got something in your life that has been added to your life in Scripture, tells me that it is not the right thing, you want to point to me and say, I'm not perfect, and I'm going to say, Amen. But that does not justify you living like you live. Just as much as it doesn't justify the church to keep priests in positions when they know they're sinning. You got it? And so today, we got to clean this all up. And it goes back to the place where it started, where God gave it to us. So just as much as we want to stand up in front and preach to everybody about what's going on, the reality is, is that we all got to be better listeners. And then have the wherewithal to know when the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin and not walk away from it. To walk away from it is going to be to try to continue to live your life the way you want to and, and think that you're going to be justified because of it and then wonder why all this junk is going on. Where is God? Why isn't he stepping in? Why isn't he making this right? I'm just going to give you one example here. Husband's not treating his wife right. Scripture says, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, that husband's prayers aren't going to reach it above the roof. Why is that? Because his relationship with Christ is found in his relationship with his wife. Go read Ephesians chapter 5. So if you can't treat your wife right in a relationship as the head of the household, don't think God's going to pass that off and bless the whole household. Doesn't work that way. Are you see what I'm saying? There's order to this. There's order to it. God is a God of order. Our enemy is a God of chaos. And we live amongst chaos. Amen? And so we are people trying to have order in chaos. They're not going to get it. It can't matter to us. We got to live it. The only way for us to live it 
is to fix that which is broken. And to fix that which is broken, we have to really assess our life at the moment and say, is there anything above God? Is there anything alongside of God? Have I added to my faith? Have I taken God's word? And have I just added my own little caveat in it so that it fits my life? I read uh, Christian Post. I try not to read it every week. Let me tell you why I try not to read it every week. Because every week when I go in there, they're telling me about somebody else who's fallen in the ministry. And I don't know. It just, it brings about despair in my life. But this past week I did go and I read it. Pastor, part of a national convention, had served as vice president of that convention and stuff before. Got divorced a few years ago. Remained the pastor of a very large church throughout all of that. And since that time, apparently, he's had multiple relationships with multiple women, none of whom are his wife, and at the current time, he had a couple of them going on. And it all got found out. And he had the audacity to ask to keep his job. He is broken. He has disqualified himself for the moment to serve where he is apparently serving. Do you get that? It doesn't mean that he can't be fixed and can't be put right. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying that he cannot be restored. But restoration is not absolving. I can't, someone else can't stand here and absolve him of all of that and he be made whole and healed. That comes through the power of the Spirit and it takes T-I-M-E. It takes time. guys remember I slipped on a rock or actually I slipped off the side of the hill and hit a rock. Remember last year? And I was barely, it's about this time. It's about this time last year. I can go for a walk. If I go for a long walk right now, if I walked about three miles and I came in, my ankle would just start clicking. It just starts clicking. I'm like, I have broken myself. And though I, it's useful, it ain't right. I don't know what's going on in there. Something's not working the way it's supposed to. I'm trying to give it some more time to see if it's going to fix itself or if I really did, like, break something off in there. I mean, it doesn't hurt or anything, but just something's not right. But it's been a year, and it's still not completely, what, healed. So what makes us think that we can come when things are broken in our life and come on a Sunday and be completely well on Monday. It is a process for all of us. And some of the battles that we do are lifelong. Addiction, that's a lifelong battle. So, I mean, all the stuff that we have, that, this baggage, something may have happened to you as a young person. You still carry that around. It still affects you. 
a lifelong thing. We have to do battle with that. So we got to be ready and prepared and right. If we allow ourselves to come in on Sunday and Sunday and Sunday and Sunday and remain broken, then we can't ever think that the rest of it's going to get fixed. So today, could you please just acknowledge that you're not all right? And that there's some things that need to be worked on? And maybe that there's something that's in the way? That's the starting point. That's how revival happens. That's how restoration happens. But that's a God thing. It's not a Tim thing. And it's not a Mount Salem thing. It's all across the world and all those places. So this morning, Instead of praying for somebody else, I want you to pray for you. All right? And if you need to move, you move. The altar will be open. The ladies are going to come back up and play. Great, by the way. And I've done as well as I can this morning. So let's let the Lord move. Let's stand together.